Amen. How many know that the Lord is mighty to save? You know, if, if you need proof that the Lord is mighty to save, just simply look around the room. Because in looking around the room, what you are looking at is a bunch of sinners. Y'all come every week for me to just simply tell you that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And here's the, the interesting thing in the, in the mighty nature of the Lord saving us. is that you couldn't save yourself. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, don't turn there. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was mighty to save when you had no affections for him. You weren't thinking about him. You were far off from him. And yet he swooped down from heaven and got on a cross to save you. What a savior that we have. Well, I am honored and delighted to be here uh, proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ. If you don't like the name of Jesus Christ, it's hard to sit through a service here because we want to talk about Jesus. He's the climax of our uh, time together. Listen, I'm eager to preach the word. Why don't you grab your Bibles and meet me in Luke chapter 9. Uh, as you turn there, uh, we are we're going through a series in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, when I say we're going through a series, those of you who are not familiar with our church, we go through a book of the Bible and literally go through line by line and verse by verse. We believe that the Lord uh, leading the conversations, leading the direction of our preaching time is very, very important. Uh, it doesn't allow me the editorial rights to be able to pick and choose what I want. Uh, but it, it really helps us to zoom in on what the word of God is. And so I am excited to be able to get into the word of God with you. Uh, some of us are tired. We hung out late on Friday night at the couple's game night. Uh, I love the way Ed said it. Some of us came and some of us cheated. And, and let me just promise you, the women did win, uh, but they did cheat. <laughs> just saying. They was cheating. They was doing score. Like, first of all, when you're doing the score every game, there's a problem. Uh, but, you know, you know, what's funny, man, I'm growing as a pastor because, you know, I always thought that the best way to, you know, to get into the nitty gritty of someone's vulnerability and get to the nitty gritty of someone's heart is really to do DNA and to do uh, small groups. But then I'm realizing, like, we should just do game nights and <laughs> because you can see the wickedness of somebody's heart. Like T.S. is a quiet dude, but, yo, he was getting up in Wendell's face. I was worried. I was worried, and I got my money on TS. I'm just saying. All right, Luke chapter, I'm betting wrong, I'm betting wrong. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. I'm eager to preach, so I'm going to just jump right in. Verse number 1, and he called the 12 together, talking about the 12 disciples or the apostles, 12 apostles. And he called the 12 together and gave them, look at what he gave them, power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. Take no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. For whatever house you enter in, stay there, and from there depart. Verse 5 becomes important for our time this morning. And wherever they do not receive you, let me say that again, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and they went through the villages, not village, villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I simply want to preach from the topic entitled Dealing with Rejection. Let us pray this morning. Father, this morning we come before you desperately desiring for you to lead and guide our time. 
Uh, Lord, even as I preach this message, I'm thinking about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says the word of God is active and alive, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And this morning, we need spiritual surgery. So, Lord, would you get at us? Would you uh, cut at the things in our lives that are not like you? I pray that you would also mend us back together through your gospel. Pray that Jesus really would be the climax, not just of the service, but of this sermon, of every time we open up your word. Might we see Jesus Christ? May be proclaimed today. Many of us in this room, and I say us because I'm including myself, many of us have experienced rejection. Many of us are still in the midst of dealing with that rejection. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would get at us and really help us and mend us back together. It is in Christ's name we give all glory and honor. Let everybody say amen. amen. Dealing with rejection. It was my sophomore year that I decided, I played football pretty much all my life since the third grade, and it was my sophomore year in high school that I decided it was a good idea for me to go out for the varsity team. Now, typically, sophomores did not play varsity football. They typically played JV, but there was an open spot on the team, and uh, I thought it was a good idea. People got in my ear and said, you should try out, and my ambition and a little bit of my skill level said, go ahead and try out. And so I tried out for this football team. And during tryouts, I did everything right. I did everything you were supposed to do. I was dependable. I showed up on time. I made the right tackles when I was supposed to do that. I learned the plays. I was, it was a huge playbook. I learned all of the plays faster than anybody else. And, and I went through the whole tryouts and went to the, to the end of tryouts. And I'm thinking that I made the team because the guy that I was going against, I thought I was better than him. And then I get to the board. I don't know how they do it these days, but they put a board out the week before the game, and your, if your name was listed on that board, then you were on the starting team on varsity. And I get to that board, and I'm eager and excited, and I'm looking for my name, and I look and do not see my name. To make matters worse, the guy that they picked over me was another sophomore, and that rejection stayed with me all of my sophomore year. And I'm willing to bet if I took a mic and I just passed it around the room and I let each one of you tell us about rejection, I bet you, you have a similar story of a time that you were rejected because nobody, nobody, nobody in this room is exempt from rejection. And if you think you are, if you've never dealt with rejection, if you're in here like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about, I would just say live a little longer. Because in living a little longer, you will experience rejection. Rejection is unavoidable. Rejection is inescapable. I don't care how deep you think you are. Rejection is coming for you if you've never experienced it. Here's the question. What coping mechanisms do we have in place to deal with rejection? Because here's the reality. Some of you in this room have, are dealing with a rejection that you were rejected 20 years ago. Two-decade-old rejection is still lingering over you, and you're still dealing with it. And some of you are in the midst of rejection right now, and you're trying to find some type of coping mechanism. Well, I can promise you that Luke chapter 9 is a great passage for us to camp out to see what rejection looks like. Let me say really quickly, though, that Luke 9, I'm going to give you the secondary application of Luke 9. That's our time together, secondary, because the primary application of Luke chapter 9 is evangelism. The primary application of Luke chapter 9 is Jesus sending out the 12 for ministry, for mission, for the purposes of the kingdom of God and the spreading of the gospel. But I would argue that there are principles within Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 that we could apply to our rejection. 
Let me also put my cards on the table really quickly. Uh, Just like last week, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John as well, give us a completed picture of every situation uh, that they are talking about together. And so what I mean by that is in Luke chapter 9, we're getting let in on Jesus sending out the 12. But Matthew also talks about the sending of the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. I would encourage you guys to read Matthew 10 when you get home. And what we're going to see is if you take Matthew 10 and you take Luke 9 and you bring them together, what we get is a completed picture of the sending of the 12. And so stay with me. We're going to build a foundation from Luke 9, but I will be interacting with Matthew chapter 10. Verse 1 says this, and he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. I am not surprised that Jesus is sending out the 12. The reason I'm not surprised that he's sending out the 12, and later on he's going to send out 70, I'm not surprised because in Matthew's account, prior to him sending out the 12, he called them together and he told them to pray for the harvest. Pray for workers in the harvest. And so really, with him sending out the 12 and later on the 70, he's actually, this is actually a partial answer to the prayer that they were praying in Matthew chapter 10. So I'm not surprised that the 12 are going out. Here's what I am surprised at. I'm surprised that when Jesus sends, sends them out, Luke misses this detail, but Matthew 10 picks up that when he sends them out, here's what Jesus says. Behold. I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't encourage your boy that you're sending us out as sheep amongst wolves. The reason that doesn't encourage me is because sheep are you and I in this room that have trusted in Jesus. And he's preparing them for rejection because he's saying the people I'm sending you to don't want to hurt you. Wolves want to tear you apart. Didn't take you don't even have to be a believer in here to know that the world is a cruel world. People will look at you and hate your guts. You ain't got to do nothing to nobody. You ain't got to say nothing to nobody. They will look at you and say, I do not like that person. And then have, have it out for you. And so what Jesus is doing is he's preparing the disciples. He's saying, listen, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. You know, when I think about sheep and wolves, I never see sheep win that battle. Like, can you imagine if a wolf, you know, runs back to his wolf pack and the wolves, the other wolves are like, like, Carl, what, what happened to your leg? And, and Carl is like, man, a sheep bit me. Can you believe that? Like, you wouldn't see that happen. Typically, it doesn't go well for the sheep. But what does the text tell us? The text is showing us in Matthew 10, I'm sending you out amongst people that do not like you, amongst people that will tear you apart. And here's the the, the dangerous part about Jesus sending us out as sheep amongst wolves. Sometimes the wolves look like sheep. Let me put a little Bible there. Y'all got some friends that I can tell I felt it. Y'all got some friends that is real wolfish. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. This is what Jesus says. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. There is nothing worse than having someone that you thought was down with you tear you apart. There is nothing worse than thinking somebody got my back, but really they're just trying to stab you in the back. I love the way the OJ say it. The OJ said, they smile in your face, 
All the time they want to take your place. Backstabbers. You ought to look at your neighbor and say, the OJs had good theology. And some good theology. Although the OJs called them backstabbers, Jesus calls them sheep or wolves in sheep clothing. And here's the interesting thing. You know, the, it's very important that you identify in your life pretty quickly who's a wolf and who's not. It's really important that you do that because everybody, listen, everybody applauding ain't happy. Everybody that you think is in your corner is not in your corner. Because Jesus says, I'm sending you out as, as sheep amongst wolves. Now, when he, when he calls them together and sends them out, he does, he gives them two things, though. Look at verse 1. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them, here it is, power and authority. Now, when I read this earlier this week, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he gives them power and authority. That should exempt them from rejection. But here's what's interesting. Even though they had power and authority with God, they still weren't exempt from rejection. I know you think you're deep, and I know you think because you got up at 5 o'clock this morning and prayed, you fasted 40 days and 40 nights. You are faithful to small group. You're faithful to church. You give to the ministry, and you think because of all of that stuff that that will exempt you from rejection, and you believe the preacher that said, come to Jesus, and you won't have rejection. No, come to Jesus, and you'll still get bit by a wolf. It's just that simple. And so I'm trying to save you from going out thinking in your mind, oh, no, I won't be bit. No, you will be. Why? Because Jesus says I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. You know, what's, what's also interesting in, in, in him sending out us out as sheep amongst wolves is wolves sometimes are, are the ones that are typically close to you, and, and they smell and they look like sheep. And, and you really think in your mind, like, it's no way they could betray me. Like, anybody ever got betrayed by somebody that you was like, that's a close one? Anybody ever got betrayed by family? All right. Let's get back into the text. So here's the three. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to give us three principles, three principles in dealing with rejection. Three. Here's the three. Be cautious of your connections. Learn to let it go and look for other opportunities. All three of them are found in our text. Let's deal with the first one. Be cautious of your connections. In Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 10, in verse 13, Jesus says, now Luke leaves this out, but Jesus says in Matthew 10, 13, that when you enter a village, look for a worthy house and stay there. Now, here's what's interesting. By implication, if Jesus is saying some houses are worthy, can we agree that some are not worthy? In other words, some houses aren't worthy of your time, some houses aren't worthy of your presence, and some houses are not worthy of your attention. And I am not trying to, trying to tell you to be arrogant, I'm trying to tell you to be aware. Because there are some places that you go, there are some relationships that you get in that you shouldn't be in. It's an unworthy place. Okay, y'all don't believe me. Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 6, he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. In other words, what is valuable, do not give to swine. And the problem with identifying swine is swine typically has a nice smile. Swine typically has nice abs. Brothers, swine has lips and hips. Swine has a nice social media page. Swine will talk, now they got a fat bank account. But you, what you need to do in dealing with rejection is to be able to identify what is swine. 
Because Jesus says, when you've identified what's swine, do not cast your pearls before them. I've, I've counseled long enough, I've pastored long enough that I realize some of you, your issue is not identifying what is swine. You know he ain't good for you. You know she ain't good for you. Your problem is identifying what's a pearl. You don't realize what is worthy in you, and you want to give out everything. And you know that they're no good. But yet, in the midst of, in the, midst of the relationship, you're like, but he talked nice to me. And he give me flowers. And he treats me right. And he sends me eggplant emojis. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just, can we keep it real in here? Casting your pearls before swine. He says, listen, when you enter the village, look for a worthy house. In other words, be very cautious of your connections. Because some connections you are involved in, that means every relationship ain't for you. Every open door ain't for you. Every job is not for you. And the quicker you identify swine and the quicker you identify that you have pearl, the, the more, the less you will be rejected. So the first, first one is be cautious of your connections. Here's the second one found right in the text. Learn to let it go. Verse number three. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics, verse 4, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, verse 5, and wherever they do not receive you, it's rejection, when you leave that town, here it is, shake the dust from your feet. You should look at your neighbor and say, shake the dust from your feet. The problem with rejection and the problem with our connections is we connect to people and we, even when they reject us, we want to prove to them that they, we, you really should be with me. And so we never get around to shaking the dust off of our feet because we're stuck. We're stuck in staying with this person. Later on, so Jesus tells them that in Luke 9. Later on in Acts chapter 13 when Jesus dies and he rises and he ascends into heaven. In Acts 13, they're now apostles. And the Bible says in Acts 13 verse 51 that the Jews are not they're not they're rejecting them they're not receiving them the bible says that they shook the dust off their feet and they went to iconium so they un they understood what jesus was saying in luke chapter 9 when jesus was initially commissioning them and sending them out later on jesus is gone and they're still practicing what jesus has said jesus said rejection will happen and here's the thing about not shaking the dust off your feet rejection has a way of building an offense an offense sits long enough and turns into bitterness. And this is how you know you're bitter. I'm going to just help you out this morning. Here's how you know you're bitter. You know that you are growing in bitterness when you look at the person that, because here's the thing about rejection. It's one thing to be rejected. It's another thing when they pick someone else over you. And you look at that person and be like, she ain't that cute. I don't know how he picked her. I don't know how they got that job over me. They are not as qualified as me. But you know, you're, see, so when I got rejected, I'm still dealing with it. When I got rejected my sophomore year, the entire season, this is how I knew I was growing in bitterness. The entire season, first of all, me and that guy was friends. The rest of the season, we no longer were friends. It wasn't even hit, like the coaches picked him. But I wasn't friends when I'm going, he not nice. He don't know how to play. 
He's not even fast. Like I had all of these things in my mind. What I was doing was growing in bitterness. What I should have did was shook the dust off of my feet. So Jesus says here, he says, listen, if they don't enter you, in, in, they not receive you and they reject you, shake the dust off your feet. And somebody this morning, that's what you need to do this afternoon. You need, if they rejected you, you need to shake the dust off your feet. You didn't get the job, shake the dust off of your feet. You applied to that bank and they turned you down, shake the dust off of your feet. Because if not, you have to learn to let it go. And sometimes shaking the dust off your feet it doesn't mean you're actually over the hurt. It just means you're not going to let it hold you. There, there was one of my favorite football players of all time. He's a, my favorite running back. Is a guy by the name of Walter Payton. He played in the 80s. He played for Chicago Bears, number 34. They called him Sweetness. That was his nickname. And I was watching an interview with him. He, he was interesting because he used to carry the ball, at least for anybody that knows football, carrying the football every game 40 times a game is a lot. So he was in the locker room, and he was talking about how he carries the ball 40 times a game. And, and, and so the interviewer said, man, I don't know how you do that, man. You, you really can get banged up doing that. He said, man, sometimes I get hit so hard that I run back to the, to the huddle, and my head is spinning. Like my head is ringing. And the interviewer was shocked, and so was everybody else, because one of the things about Walter Payton was no matter how hard he got hit, he had this thing he used to do where he would jump up and run back to the huddle. And so the interviewer said, Man, I can't believe you get hit that hard to where your head is ringing because you always seem to jump up and you always seem to make it back to the huddle. And he said, that's because I can't let the one that hit me know that he hurt me. And some of you in here, like my professor says it this way, you got to fake it till you make it. And sometimes shaking the dust off your feet doesn't mean you're over it. It means you choose not to let that person know that you hurt me. That's why when Jesus says shake the dust off your feet, he says shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The deepest thing you could do this week is walk away. Because some of you are stuck. You are paralyzed in the rejection, and you are paralyzed to a place where you are stuck there. My wife and I, every Friday, religiously, every single Friday, I take off, and we, we go have breakfast. And uh, this one particular Friday, we went down to Soho, and we were hanging out a little little spot and we ate and then she had to go to the Apple store and so we went to the Apple store she had to do something with her phone and while she was doing something with her phone she's playing with the iPads that new little uh, that little the pro or whatever it is she's writing on it and stuff you know she does calligraphy so she's sitting there writing on all of them and leaving it so I ran while she was playing games I ran to the bathroom and so I get to the bathroom and there's a father and a son in the bathroom now clearly the father was potty training the son now ladies I don't know if you know this but in the men's bathroom, we have stand-up stalls. And these stand-up stalls, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there's two sizes. There's the, the tall, long ones for the adults, and then they have short, little ones for the kids. Now, clearly, this young man has never seen this before. And so his father has to teach him, not just potty train him, teach him how to use the stand-up stall. And so he says, he's standing in one stall and the son's in another, and I'm listening to this interaction. He says, now just go ahead and use the bathroom. He uses the bathroom. And the son is still standing there. The father's done. He's washing his hands. He says, son, what are you doing? The son says, well, I'm looking for the handle to flush the toilet. And the father says, oh, oh, son, it's automatic. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to flush it with your hand. So the son says, well, how do I get it to flush? This is what the father says. Just simply walk away. Some of you, you'll get that on your way home. Some of you are still sitting at the stall with the mess. And the deepest thing you can do 
Walk away. Just walk away. Shake the dust. Take the L is what they used to say back in the day. Shake the dust off. Can you just help me preach and look at somebody and say, shake it off. Why are you still dealing with it? Why are you still complaining about it? Shake the dust off of your feet. Be cautious of your connections is the first principle that we get out of this text. Second principle, learn to let it go. Third and final, final principle is look for other opportunities. Look with me at verse 6. And they departed and they went through all of the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The problem with not letting rejection go is it hinders you from the next opportunity. And so can you imagine if the disciples were, were you know, weren't, didn't make it to Iconium because they're still stuck in wherever they were rejecting? That's what we do. I just, I need you because, you know, when you're rejected, it's really a blow against your pride. And so you sit there like, please, like, receive me, like, take me in. But really, Jesus is like, why are you doing that? Take, shake the dust off your feet. But then when you leave, you leave with, with hopeful joy because you're looking for another opportunity. And so some of you don't, you don't need to just shake the dust off your feet. You need to shake the dust off your feet and apply somewhere else. You need to shake, because you know what we do? We look at relationships and we be like, uh, he dogged me so every man's a dog. The devil is a liar. Every man is not a dog. You dealt with a dog, but every man is not a dog. And so in other words, if you get stuck at the rejection, you don't know the other opportunities that are out there. And there's a real word for somebody. Because somebody in here right now was still dealing with the rejection. Remember Acts 13 when the Jews rejected the apostles and I said, the Bible says that they shook the dust off their feet and they went to Iconium. If you read a couple verses later, when they get to Iconium, the Bible says they went into the synagogues and many Jews and many Greeks believed. In other words, if they got stuck at the house that rejected them, they would have never made it to Iconium. If they never made it to Iconium, people would not have believed the gospel. And if the gospel didn't spread, you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room. I'm just trying to tell you, rejection, you never get rejected in a vacuum. You get rejected and it impacts a lot of other things. So some of you in this room need to see you're stuck saying, Lord, why am I rejected? Here's what you really need to say. What's next? Fix your hair up, get your, get your nails did, and say, what's next? And let me not just reduce this to relationship decisions. Some of you, some of you are still stuck in a, in a, in a career because you got denied and another, you know, another, you put an application in, they denied you, and you're stuck in that career. When in the reality, you need to shake the dust off your feet and look for more opportunities. You got denied, shake it off. Keep it moving. Here's the thing about rejection. You know, rejection, when you grow in bitterness, it, you know, it really does paralyze you. Like, legit it does. I, I've been personally praying, um, and I'm going to let you guys in on this, and I ask you guys to actually join me in this prayer. I've been praying for our church space issues. I don't know if you notice know, this is a small space. We run two services, and both services are pretty much at, at max capacity. Look around the room, and you can see that. And so one of the things that I've been praying is, Lord, like I'm looking at developers, you know, buy up property and build skyscrapers in my mind. I'm like, this is the pillar ground in truth. This is the Lord's house. And so I'm like, Lord, we need more space, not to floss. We need more sanctuary space. We need more kids space. We need more. And we got more mothers that are that are uh, getting pregnant and having babies. And we need more space for them. 
Worship team needs a space that they can go and have some relaxation. You know they sing 10 songs on a Sunday? They need somewhere they can go and rest. I need somebody from the worship team just to say amen. They need a spot. Miss Carol need a kitchen. I'm just saying. She loves cooking. I'm telling you, she's been begging me, Lord, can we have a kitchen? Can we find a kitchen? And, and I don't think we need a kitchen just so y'all can eat. We need a kitchen to feed the community. We need a kitchen on Thanksgiving to invite everybody. Come on and eat. We need space. I do counseling out of a little closet. I put a couch in a closet. And I do counseling. Some of y'all know we be fitting in there like this. <laughs> Gabe, I feel so bad for Gabe. That's Gabe's office right, right up there. Gabe sets up a shop up there. We need space so that we can do more ministry. But here's what I found out, Gabe said preach. This is the first time Gabe ever took notes. <laughs> Gabe like, I need an office. Love you, Gabe. But here, here's what I know. In, you know, in, 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 when dealing with rejection, one of the things that I've been praying for is more space. And we've actually been actively searching. But let me just tell you, it's hard out here in these streets. I'm just telling you. The landlords be like, you a church? I literally got hung up on one time. I said, yeah, we're, we're a church. They said, click. The lady called me. I kid you not. She called me back to apologize and said, you know, I'm still not dealing with you, but I just want to apologize. And then hung back up. Listen, I'm telling you. And so if I get stuck, if I get stuck and I don't shake the dust off my feet and I don't look for more opportunities, at the first no, we'll be here forever. But when you, when you learn to shake the dust off and look for more opportunities, really you'll, you'll bump into the will of God. You'll bump into what God's providence is for you. So that's the, that's the three things we need to work through. What are the three things? I need y'all to say it back to me. What is the first one? Be cautious of your connections. What's the second one? Learn to let it go. And some of y'all are still there. I'm just saying, you, you haven't learned that yet. You're still there. What's the third one? Look for other opportunities. Now, here's the thing about rejection. I'll end by saying this. Nothing identifies you with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, like rejection. You do know he was rejected. Isaiah 53, verse number three, will say it this way. He was despised and he was rejected by men. Not only was Jesus rejected by men, but Jesus was also rejected by his father while he sat on the cross taking your sin. Like Jesus willingly took on rejection for you. And he gives you his righteousness. He was rejected so that you will never be. That's the reality of rejection. And nothing will identify you. Do not pray, Lord, I never want to experience rejection. No, I want to be like Jesus. And how do I be like Jesus? I'm rejected. Because when everybody applauds you, that's dangerous. You need somebody to say no. You need that relationship not to work. I'm just telling you, you need it not to work. You need to get fired. I know y'all are like, I never heard this type of preaching before. It's true. Because rejection absolutely helps us. Every head bow, every eye closed. I would be remiss if I ended this service and did not pray for somebody that has either dealt with rejection in a massive way that they need counseling and therapy because of it. And I also want to be honest that there are some people, like I'm not, I'm not naive. Many of you in here are still dealing with rejection right now. Some of you ain't talked to friends and family in months because they rejected you. 
Some of you disowned some of your closest girls because they rejected you. And we took it personal. If God is sovereign, he was not surprised. If God is sovereign, he was not in heaven going, oh, my God, I didn't see that one coming. No, he knows. If you're either in the midst of dealing with rejection or you've never gotten over two decade old rejection without even thinking, just come to the altar. Just run down to the altar. If that is you, if you're like this, I don't care if you're serving. If you're like, that's me. I'm in the midst of rejection right now. I've been rejected by somebody that I love. Someone that I trusted. I, I wanted them, but they didn't want me the same way. This altar's full today because rejection is real. Now, I preach this passage. Listen to the, the, all of you that are on this altar. I preach this passage almost as though rejection was easy to get over. And it's not. I want to be honest with you. You will walk up this altar and still be wrestling. There's no magic potion on this altar. We need the help of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for everybody on this altar today. Some of us have been rejected in relationships. And it hurt. Some of us have, are in the midst of offense because of the rejection. And it hurts. Some of us have grown into that bitter place that I talked about, and it hurts. But Father, by your grace and by your mercy and by your sustaining power, would you, will you help us to cope with it? I'm not praying that we would get over it too quickly. In the process of getting over it, build in us spiritual maturity. Build in us a sense of grace and mercy towards the person that has rejected us. Also, Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify what's a worthy house. Help you that, I pray that you would help us to identify what is swine. But ultimately, Lord, help us to identify what's the pearl in us. What is valuable that you've put in us? Some jobs that rejected us. It was good for us, Lord. Because it's pushing us towards other places and other opportunities. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, I pray that as we consider rejection, we'll look to the cross of Jesus Christ. The ultimate place where we see rejection. And I pray that we would realize that it was not the Roman soldiers that put him there, but us. Even though he died and was rejected, we were the ones rejecting him. And so as we look at our people that have rejected us and we are offended by it, Help us look at the fact that we rejected Jesus. But even in the midst of us rejecting you, you still chose to love us. So give us a gracious response, but also give us wisdom and discernment to know when to walk away. It's in Christ's name we pray and give all glory. Amen.